The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. On October the 11th, 1973, 19-year-old Calvin Parker and his friend, 42-year-old Charles Hickson, were spending a frustrating evening fishing on the Pascagoula River in Mississippi. Both men loved to fish, but that night's fishing trip would turn out to be one they would never forget. In the early evening, both men were startled when a strange craft descended and hovered a few feet above the ground and just a few yards from their location. Before they had any chance to run, an opening appeared in the craft, and out floated three humanoid creatures. Both men were absolutely terrified when these creatures grabbed them and took them aboard the craft. On the craft, both men were subjected to an examination, and at one point, they were so terrified as they believed they were about to die. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fambergas. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And to share this incredible story of close encounter and alien abduction, tonight's special guest is Calvin Parker, one of the two subjects of this event. After almost 45 years, Calvin has now written a book about his story. The book is titled Pascagoula, The Closest Encounter, My Story. Calvin Parker joins us directly from Mississippi. Hello, Calvin, and welcome to Veritas. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. Well, thanks for being with me. You have been requested by many, many of our listeners, and I know you're getting calls from Fox News and everybody else to to have you on. Why do you think this story is so relevant right now after so many years? You know, I don't understand that. I figured it would be forgotten. But one thing, most everybody involved in this story's passed away now, and there's just a few of us left that remember it, and uh, a few witnesses left that remember it, and, and I think that's a lot of it, and that's the biggest reason I wanted to get it documented in the book is because, uh, you know, I would hate to die and then the story not be fully told or uh, the truth not fully come out about the story. So, and that's kind of where I'm sitting. And as like Phillips said, you know, all through the years, my, in my past, the press would change what I would say. They'd usually add to it a little bit, which you really didn't need any adding to, or they'd take away from it a little bit, or maybe not tell the story like it was. So when I got ready to do the book, I had talked to Philip and he knew how I felt about it. And that's and, Philip uh, Mantle, your publisher. Philip Manto with a flying disc. Right. And um, he's been great. He hadn't changed anything. He won't even hardly change my spelling in there unless you just can't really make it out. And believe me, I'm not a, I didn't major in literature or nothing. I don't have much of an education. So uh, I know it's been hard on him and taking a few licks over uh, not changing things, but it really puts the story out there the way that. I wanted it more or less and the way that it is and the way that um, and what a lot of the people saying that's read the book is, you know, 
it's like sitting in a room with you. It's like talking to you. It's like living a story through you. And that's that's the way that I wanted it. You know, I didn't pull any redneck out of it. We just left it like it was. <laughs> well, it's interesting you say that because lately I asked the publishers to please send me ebooks. And which which Philip did, and what I do, I just put it on text to speech on my side, and uh, as you said, everything was coming raw. I feel like I was with you there. The way, the mannerisms, the the the, the, the whole thing was there. Yeah, and, and I didn't really at the time that I was doing the book, I really didn't think that that part would go over good, but uh, the thing about it. It's real. I mean, and people feel it being real when you tell your story, when you tell your life story. And I try to cover details that nobody would think about in the book and all. And so far, I've enjoyed doing it, and I've enjoyed talking with people and visiting about it. Usually, Calvin, I read a bio for the guests that we have. And even though Charles is not here with us, he passed away a few years ago. I want you to give us some background of you and Charles so that the audience can get a better perspective of who you are. Actually, Charlie Hickson really was not a friend of mine. He was a friend of my father's, but I spent a lot of time with Charlie as a child coming up, him and his family. We, uh, he used to live in Sandersville, Mississippi, and we also lived in Sandersville, my father and him used to fish and rabbit hunt together. And in doing that, they would take the older kids, uh, me and his sons and daughter, fishing with them, or they would rabbit hunt, and we would go rabbit hunting with them and all. And that's the way that I knew Charlie uh, up until uh, the time that I went to Pascagoula to go to work for him. And I was working in the oil field. I had got a job there, and we was working 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And I didn't want to do that. I was fixing to get married that following November. So uh, instead of doing that, my father told me, he said, why don't you call Charlie? He's working at a shipyard. That'd be a little more stable job for you. You have insurance. You have days off. You make good money. So I had some experience with uh, welding and fabrication and all. So that's what I did. I called Charlie up and he said, sure, you know, being a friend of my father's and knowing him all his life, he said, sure, come on down. So I drove down and Charlie said, look, don't even hunt you a place to stay right now. I have an extra bedroom. You just rent this room for me, $50 a week, and you move in here. And uh, that'll give you time to hunt you and your future wife a place to live. And you kind of you know, just kick back and take it easy for a while. And that's what I did. And this was October, uh, well, it was the weekend before October the 11th. This was uh, back around the 6th or 7th or somewhere in there. So uh, I moved in with Charlie, and then I came back down the morning. I went back home. Then I came back down the morning of the 11th, and we left and went to work together. I picked Charlie up in my car. And we rode into the Shaw Peters shipyard where we was working. And we, uh, he got my paperwork filled out and all. We worked all day except for about an hour, you know, doing paperwork. We was there all day long. And it was getting around 5 o'clock that evening. 
about quitting time, and it was hot. For an October today, it was, I guarantee you, 97, 98 degrees with 100% humidity factor. And that's kind of hard to believe for a lot of people, but, you know, it, just that hot that time of the year. He said, instead of going home and eating and taking a shower and going to bed, he said, why don't we go wind down a little bit and we just go fishing? Because we, we all love to fish, and he knew that. And I told Charlie, I said, look, I didn't bring no fishing equipment. I come down here to work. I bought work boots and work clothes. He said, I got plenty of equipment. And I remember thinking back on it, you know, that that's highly unusual to borrow someone's It's like borrowing fishing. a wife. Oh, yeah, same thing. You Down here, you get away faster with borrowing a wife than you will with <laughs> fishing equipment. So uh, we uh, went and got the equipment and left and drove over to, it was about a 15-minute drive to the shipyard to the place he was talking about. Now, I've never fished down here on the coast, so I wasn't real familiar with it. He told me how to get here, and he said, uh, there's a grain elevator, or used to be a grain elevator right here, or was a grain elevator, and they would unload grain off this elevator, and it would fall into the water, and that would attract the fish, and they just stayed around there waiting on something to eat. Well, when we got to the site where it was, I looked to the uh, looked out through there, and I noticed the shipyard was abandoned, so it must have been out of business for a good while. I never asked anybody, but I, I knew they wasn't conducting business there at the time because it was a lot of tall gra uh, grass. Uh, uh, yeah, weeds everywhere. Right. And then it looked like a garbage dump where people just back down through there and throw out their old washing machines and beds and mattresses and all that. But what had happened, Char I asked Charlie about that. I said, why don't they clean this mess up? He said, because uh, that's really not what people throw out. When the water gets up here on the coast, it comes over to land sometime. If you got a little storm or the water gets real high, and then when it comes up on the land, it brings all this debris with it. When it goes out, it leaves it where it was, and they just hadn't done any cleanup since this place been out of business. So I was satisfied with that. It really didn't matter to me anyway. So... Uh, we started making our way down to where we was fishing, and it took a good 15, maybe 20 minutes to walk through that debris, and it wasn't but about 300 uh, foot, to about the length of a football field, to where we was going to fish. There was no steel pier. So we finally made it down there, sat down, and started fishing a little bit. Uh, I mean, just started fishing. And I was looking out across the river. We was on the east bank of the river. And if you look across the river, there used to be an old NOAA station or a Coast Guard station. And I believe it was an old Coast Guard ship there. And I was thinking to myself, how in the world does something made out of steel that big float? And that, that's exactly what I was thinking at that moment when it come in. And then I noticed some blue lights uh coming from behind us, reflecting off across the top of the water to the ship. Now, this craft was sitting in behind us close to where we had parked, except it was about 50 foot uh, further out from my car. And 
I thought to myself, I told Charlie, I said, I believe the law's back there. They're fixing to make us move because we trespassing or something. Because I did see an old trespassing sign up when we walked down there. It wasn't up real good, but it was one there. And we stood up and turned around and looked. And gosh, when we looked, it was scary. That All of a sudden, it was a bright light. You just really couldn't see anything. I mean, it was so bright that it blinded you when it appeared. And what I figured, I didn't know right then, but what I figured out by now, the door it must have been the door when it opened on the craft, and this was coming from the inside of the craft. What time of the day was this, Calvin? It was just barely getting dark, so I figured it was probably around 5 o'clock. Neither one of us had a watch. It was a little after five because it took about 15 minutes to get home and 15 more minutes to get back to the shipyard, about 15 minutes to walk down there. So it was going on probably close to six o'clock, the best I can estimate. No exact time because, like I say, we didn't have a watch. So it took just a minute to uh, be able to see anything besides that, but I seen three figures floating. And when I say floating, literally floating across the top of that debris, well, that scared the living daylights out of you. So I kind of glanced around to both sides looking for a place to run, and it was water and debris on the left, water and debris on the right, because they'd pull them ships up in them deals. And I knew what was in front, a bunch of debris and water, and it would have been more dangerous to jump off into that river than it would, I thought, to... uh, run the way that we came in, but we didn't have time to run. They was there just a fraction of a second, it seemed like. So two of them got a hold of Charlie, and one of them got a hold of myself, and that's when I felt like an injection into my arm or heard a noise, like a noise, and felt, uh, then all at one time, I just felt real relaxed. So that's why I figured it was an injection, and i get more into that when I get to the story tomorrow about the hospital. So uh, that just relaxed me, but it also kind of paralyzed me, and I wasn't able to turn or, or, or turn my head anyway or move in any way, and we automatically, when he got a hold of me, he automatically levitated us off the ground, And I was thinking to myself, I had my clear thoughts about me. And I was thinking, why didn't this break my arm or something? You know, I wasn't real big back then, about 160 pounds. But it should at least snap my arm or felt a little pain involved. But it didn't. It's just like we come up, just like we floated up with him. And uh, we started going toward the craft. Well, again, I couldn't look to either side. All I could do was just see straight ahead of me. When we got to the craft, I caught myself looking, and I was real relaxed at this time because I just wasn't worried about nothing. I didn't, as I say, he gave me a I don't care pill. But uh, we, uh, I was looking inside the craft, and I was also trying to see if I could see Charlie, and I couldn't see Charlie not in front of me or nothing. And all I could do was just look straight ahead. But I was looking for light fixtures or something. That's how bright the lights were coming out. And when we went in, I, it looked like 
the walls were just extruding lights out. Looked like all the light was coming out of the walls for some reason. And there was no light fixtures that I could see. So this big, ugly creature that I call him made a left turn and then a right turn and took me into a little room, and I call that the examination room. And they laid us out on uh, what could have been a table, or they, they might have just stretched us out there. I didn't see a table now, but they put us on something, and I was laid on about a 45-degree angle in this room. So it got my vision where I could kind of turn my eyes, roll my eyes each way and look around to see what I could see. And that's when I got a pretty good look at what had me. Up until then, I really didn't understand what had had a hold of me. And he let me go, and I couldn't move off that table. So while I was there on the table, he I noticed he backed up at the back of the room, and this uh, different little creature come out, or little humanoid come out. And I'm saying it was a female. I don't know to this day what it was, if it was male or female or or what it was, but it come out of a, another little room and approached me, and I could just turn my eyes and kind of see her or it, and uh, it, it it was a little more human looking than what this thing that come got us was. Now, the one that brought us in moved mechanically. It was... Uh, you could tell by the way that it was moving, it might have been a robot or some kind of soldier or something because everything was just a jerk move and, you know, it wasn't real well coordinated like a human would move. But this other one moved more like a human, you know, the way that she or it moved its arms and touch. When she got a hold of my face, uh, well, first when I was laying there, she backed up just a little bit. Now, I couldn't see if she was floating or walking or what was going on there. And something came out of the ceiling about the size of a deck of cards. And this thing stopped about a foot above my head. And then it started revolving around my head. And I heard it go click, click, click four times. And then it got up in front of my face again and went straight back up into the wall. And that's when she come out and took her hands and I did notice her hand, her fingers was a little longer than, uh, you know, uh, uh, human fingers. And she grabbed me by the by my cheek and pulled my mouth open, looked up in my mouth, pulled my nose back, looked up in my nose. And then I was starting to get kind of scared then. I was really starting to panic again for some reason. And it was just like she said, don't fear we're not going to hurt you. But her mouth never moved. It just, she kind of thought it. And then that's relaxed me again for just a second. And that's when the old big ugly one, what I call it, came back in. And uh, she mumbled something from the bottom of her throat. You could tell. And it was like a gunk, gunk. And he grabbed hold of my arm again. And automatically it was just like it was when he picked it up. You know, I was just got real relaxed. And he floated us back out to the river. And that was amazing to me because going back out, you know, I could see a little better because of the bright lights had already dim. going back out to what I could coming in. And that was amazing to me just going over the top of that marsh grass and uh, all that old trash 
looking up through there. And he set me down. And I was not able to move, but he set me down and my arms was facing the river stretch. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.